Psalm 6 to 9, and verse number 19, Psalm 69, verse 19, said, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor, and mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This scripture is prophecy relating to the crucifixion, as you recognize there, especially from verse 21, uh, where they offered the uh, vinegar for Christ on the cross. Let us pray. Our Father, as we bow before you, Lord, I thank you for the Word of God and for another opportunity that we have to preach your Word. And Lord, I know in myself I can do nothing. And oh God, I just desire to be a vessel that you could fill and use. Lord, give me understanding of your word and then help me to communicate the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you minister to every need. We know there are hearts that are heavy tonight, people that need encouragement, people that are bearing uh, loads of problems. And God, I just pray you minister to each need. May we know that we have a loving Savior, one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I pray, oh God, you'd bless your word tonight, bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, bring you a message on the subjects, Does Jesus Care? Uh, we sing the song, I Know He Cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Well, on the cross, the Lord Jesus said, I thirst. And I've read that, and instead of giving him water, they gave him vinegar, which was really an insult to the Son of God. But it was fulfilling the scripture here in Psalm 69, where it said they would give him gall, which was bitter for my meat, and in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. This gall was uh, really a, a poisonous uh, substance that was designed to kill the pain and shorten the suffering. He refused, of course, uh, anything that, uh, uh, that would do that and uh, accepted the vinegar there. And I believe, uh, you know, as I studied this, I, I believe instead of giving him water and giving him vinegar, that he placed him in a position to be able to sympathize with mankind uh, down through the ages of time. You know, it's hard for someone that has always been rich to sympathize with the poor. It is hard for someone uh, who has always had plenty to eat to sympathize with those who are hungry. I don't think we have any comprehension of what it's like to go to bed with nothing to eat 
and you've seen the pictures of, of the children in other countries with the little bellies swollen and, and the flies all over them. And, and it just breaks your heart as you think about the poverty and the suffering around the world. A person that's always enjoyed good health cannot sympathize with those that are suffering with physical disease or someone that has never lost a loved one to sympathize with those who have. I preached many of a funeral before my mother passed away. And I thought that I knew how to sympathize with people. I thought I could understand their grief, but I could not. Until I was there myself, then I understood what people faced. Then I understood the grief and the sorrow that others go through. So we may not be able to understand. We may not be able to sympathize. But there's one in heaven who understands it all. The Bible says we have a great high priest. The scripture we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 4, who is touched with the filling of our infirmities. And I'm glad that he is. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. This week at the Wilds, I, we had some testimonies, and I had opportunity to speak with others uh, privately or one-on-one. -on -one and, and uh, you know, it, it brought to my attention uh, that you really many times don't understand what others are going through. I mean, you see people, you meet them, carry on a conversation with them, and you don't know the burdens that they're carrying. We had one lady there. Uh, uh, she was at the camp last year, and just a few days before the camp last year, her husband walked off and left her with three children to raise for another woman. And not only you'd think that would be no, enough of a burden, then she found out she had a tumor on her kidney, I believe it was, and uh, the prognosis looked real bad. She was bearing a heavy load. And uh, she did not understand why all this was happening to her. But she said she went to the altar and she sought God about this and asked God to spare her life so she could raise her children. And uh, God heard her prayer. She went back to the doctor. The doctor run the test, further test on her, called her in to talk to her, and said, I don't know how to explain it, but the tumor is no longer there. Well, God is sufficient, isn't he? Also, there was a young man there last year at Cal. He played basketball, the basketball team from his school. He uh, entered other competitions. He went back home 
lives in, lived in Winston, near Winston-Salem there, and went back home. His mother came in and found her son lying beside of the bed with a gunshot wound through his head. They ruled it suicide. We don't understand the burdens that others carry, do we? We really don't know the heartache and the sorrow that others are carrying. But there's one who understands. And we'd like to look at the cup of poverty. You know, in America, we have so much. It's hard for us to sympathize. You know, we, we talk about the poor in America. Compared to other countries, there is no such thing as poverty in America. I mean, in comparison, I realize there's people in need and, and there's people that, uh, that need things. But if a person's hungry, I think in America, there is some way to find food. You may not, you may not uh, uh, be able to get many things, but I think there are, uh, there are places where a person can find food. I never understood, I don't think, how other countries lived until a number of years ago I went to Mexico. And at that time, the, uh, most people in America were making 4 or $5 an hour, or a lot of people were, some making quite a bit more, of course, but uh, in Catawba County, that was about the, the average factory wage. And when I went to Mexico, people were making three and four dollars a week. Not an hour, not a day, but a week. They lived in mud and stick houses. They were dirt floors and thatch roofs. And it was hard to comprehend. It was like going into another world. It was hard to comprehend the poverty in that country. And so, uh, we who have had so much, many times we can't understand poverty. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, why did Jesus come the way he did? He was God. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been, he could have had all the treasures of life. He was God. But the Lord Jesus chose to come and be born in a poor family. Used a poor family to come into the world. We find that he was uh, born there and laid in a stable. Many times he slept out in the mountains or in a boat. You remember the story there when he was with his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was asleep on the boat. And they wake him and said, Carest thy not that we perish? He said, The foxes have holes and the birds of there have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You think of that. Jesus never owned a home. He never had a place he could call his own. He had nowhere to lay his head. 
You know, I read that and it's always touched my heart. When I think of Jesus and all the miracles he performed, he opened the blinded eyes, he opened the deaf ears, he fed the multitudes, he performed all these miracles. And I read about that and in my mind I say, where is the gratitude? And the crowd dissipates and the crowd goes their way and they rejoice in those that have been healed. And Jesus goes out and lays down under a tree or somewhere or maybe in a cave. The Son of God. Foxes have holes. Birds there have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He rode a barred beast when he rode into Jerusalem offering himself as king. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. The Son of God. Why did he do this? So he could know what poverty... There's no one in this world that is poor but what Jesus can sympathize with them. He understands. He knows what they're going through. He knows... He knows the cup of poverty. B.R. Lincoln said he came into the world by way of a stable and went out by way of an old rugged cross. The cup of poverty. He was rejected by his own people. The city he grew up in in Nazareth, he went back there and they tried to kill him. They mocked him. They said, why? Who is he claiming to be? We know his father, Joseph. We know his brethren and his sisters. We know this is a carpenter's son. We know who this is. Claiming to be God, they accused him of blasphemy. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. He understands poverty. Not only that, but he knows the cup of betrayal. You know, it's a hard thing to be betrayed. To have confidence in someone and then have them betray you behind your back. I've experienced that many times in the ministry, and it's never easy. I believe in being what you are. If you've got anything to say to somebody, say it to their face. Look them in the eye and say it. Don't go behind their back and criticize them and run them down. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible said if there's a fault between you and your brother, you go to him alone and you take care of it. And if we don't do that, we violate the Scripture and we sin. Even if the person is in the wrong, if a person has done wrong, if a person's guilty, go to them. Deal with them alone. And if they won't listen, then take a couple more with you and deal with it, try to deal with it again. And then if they won't listen, Bring them before the church. But that is rarely practiced today. 
Usually there's a problem. It's usually all over the church or all over the community. That's usually the first step. Instead of dealing with it privately as the Bible teaches. The cup of betrayal. I have, I have seen people in these years of ministry that I would never have believed would have turned their back on God. One of the most difficult things I have had to deal with in the ministry is people that I've had confidence in and people that I thought they'll, they'll, they'll serve God to the rapture. They'll never quit. They'll never give up. They'll never throw in the towel. And now they don't even go to church at all. I don't understand it. A member of the jury was talking. I don't understand how you just quit. How you just give up. I may understand how a person, uh, you know, may leave a church and go to another church if God, if God is uh, directing in that way. But to just quit altogether, just give up and quit and throw in the towel. I can't understand that. I can't understand betrayal. The Bible said there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I believe you stick with a person when they're right and you stick with them when they're wrong. That's friendship. You don't forsake them when they fall. What does the Bible say? Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If one be taken and overfall, you which are, you which are strong, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Do we do that? You know, Jesus Christ had 12 disciples and one of them betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. I read that. You realize Judas is carried. He heard the same preaching the other disciples heard. He saw the same miracles. He was there. He saw the power of God. He heard the wonderful words of Jesus Christ and yet he rejected it. You know how trusted he was? He was the treasure. He carried the bag. They had absolute confidence in Judas. No one ever suspected him. Even, even at the Lord's Supper, when the Lord Jesus revealed Judas as the betrayer, they still, the disciples still, could not understand that it was really true. But his own familiar friend, his own trusted friend, betrayed him with a kiss. So when we are betrayed by others, Jesus knows. He's been there. He knows what it is to be betrayed by a trusted friend. I mean, Judas was not just a, a casual acquaintance. He slept with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard his teaching. He carried the money. He paid the taxes. He paid the bills. He was a trusted friend, and he betrayed him. The Lord knows 
if we have to go through that. In Psalm 118 and verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I'm told that is the center verse in the Bible. If you count up all the verses and divide them in the middle, but that's the center verse. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. How true that is. Put your confidence in Jesus. I can fail you. Anybody can fail you, but Jesus never fails. He'll never fail you. There's no fault in him. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Why do you do what you do? You do it for the Lord or you do it for man? If you do it for man, you'll quit. If you come to church because of the preacher, sooner or later you'll quit. If you come to church because of the singing, sooner or later you'll quit. If you come to church for any other reason except the Lord, to worship the Lord, and because you love Christ, sooner or later, you'll quit. But if your confidence is in the Lord, he'll see you through. Proverbs 18, 24, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother cup of betrayal. Though all men fail, forsake you. Jesus will never forsake you. I like the song, He loves me when I'm good. He loves me when I'm bad. Jesus loves me. He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love, he said to Israel. And about all Israel ever done was disobey God. God said, I love you and there's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. My love is everlasting. He said, I'll never quit loving you. Aren't you glad God's like that? I've counseled with husbands. I've counseled with wives. As I told you about the young lady, her husband walks off and leaves her with three children to raise. I wonder what a man thinks about. The Bible said they'd be without natural affection. I mean, how's my children going to be provided for? I wonder what goes through a man's mind. He's not directed by a reason. He's directed by his own lust. But I've counseled with people, and they say, my wife walked off to left me, and they said, I just don't love you anymore. Or the wife may say, my husband left. And the reason is they said they don't love me. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ will never do that? The Lord will never forsake us. The Lord will never walk off and leave us. And he'll never say, I just don't love you anymore. Because he loves us with an everlasting love. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. His love is everlasting. It is unconditional. I thank God for that. Because if it won, he sure wouldn't love me. The cup of betrayal. Then there's another cup. That's the cup of pain. The cup of pain. 
My wife said this morning was getting up. Kind of goes along with this. I wonder what it would be like to not have any pain. She has a lot of headaches, a lot of sinus problems. I wonder what it'd be like to not have any pain. Some of you know what I'm talking. Some of you can sympathize with that. You may have to bear the cup of pain. The Lord Jesus knows what it is. They scourged him. They plucked out his beard. They spit on him. They crowned him with thorns. They nailed him to a cross. No one ever suffered like Jesus Christ. No one ever bore the pain that he, he bore. Some of you have had to sit back and watch your loved ones suffer in pain and you wish to God that somehow or another you could, just, you could just reach out and take the pain or touch them and remove the pain. Before my mother passed away, I was pastoring Maiden then and uh, went up to the mountains and brought her down to Maiden and spent the night there then took her to Winston-Salem Hospital the next day. And she was up most of the night in pain. They did the test at the hospital and they found that her hip bone, the doctor said, it's just like jelly. It had absolutely been eaten away by the cancer. No one understands the pain, but Jesus does. He's been there. I don't care how much you suffer, how much pain you have, there's one in heaven that understands. He's bore the cup of pain. And greater pain than we could ever know because Psalm 116.3 said, The pains of hell got hold upon me. He not only suffered the physical pain of the cross, he not only suffered the physical pain of the beating and the crowning with thorns, he not only had to endure that, but he endured the suffering of hell on that cross. I believe Jesus Christ literally experienced the pains of the fires of hell itself on that cross. Fulfilling the scripture. I think of that poor rich man the Lord talked about in Luke 16 as he says, I am tormented in this flame. I think about that man in the fire burning in that fire that rage and fire. And then I think of Jesus Christ, not just one man suffering, but the multiplied millions of the world that have been born or ever would be born. And I think about all of that suffering being poured out upon Jesus Christ in six hours on the cross. If you can understand that, if your mind can begin to comprehend that kind of suffering, then you can understand the agony of the cross and what he went through for you and I on no rugged cross. The suffering, the cup of pain, forsaken by God, Matthew 27, 46, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One thing that's been difficult for me over the years, one thing that I'm glad to do and I'm glad I can do, I don't know how you get used to it, after all these years, I can't get used to it. But every week of my life, almost every week, I'm 
at the hospital or other ho nursing homes or somewhere. Every week over these many years, I've seen people in pain. I've seen people suffer. And I wish 10,000 times that I could reach out and take it away. And you sit there, you stand there, and you're so helpless to do anything. Pain. One of these days, God's going to put an end to it. There be any more pain for the former things that passed away. I wonder what it'd be like never have any more pain well one of these days <laughs> we're going to get to know we're going to experience it. then there's a cup of bereavement I told you that I thought I could sympathize with people but I didn't know how until I faced it myself and I had told people the grace of God was sufficient and I believe that. But one day I experienced the grace of God, the sufficiency of God's marvelous grace. The cup of bereavement. The Lord Jesus understands in John 11, you read the story about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And the Lord said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, your brother will live again. He told Martha, your brother will live again. Lazarus, he'll live again. Oh, I know he'll live again in the resurrection at the last day. I believe that. He said, I'm the resurrection of the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die, Jesus said. And they go and tell Mary, Jesus is coming to the grave of Lazarus. She leaves her home, goes over there to the grave. And as they're going, they begin to weep. And she comes to Jesus, and she makes a statement. She said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And that's true. No one ever died in the presence of Jesus. No one ever stayed dead that we read about. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And the Bible said the shortest verse in the Bible, you know what it is, don't you? Jesus wept, the Bible says. Now, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew in just a few moments he was going to raise him. He wasn't weeping over that. He was sharing the grief. He wept because they were weeping. He understood their grief and their sorrow, and he wept with them. He said, roll the stone away. They said, oh, Lord, but this time he stinketh. He says, you just do what I say. If you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. You see, it's believe and then see. It's not see and then believe. And of course, you know the story. They roll the stone away and Lazarus comes out of the grave. It has been said that Jesus stands by every open grave and weeps, shares the sorrow 
of those that are weeping. He understands. Cup of bereavement. Then there's the cup of death. If Jesus doesn't come back first, we're all going to die. We're going to have to go. We know not when nor how, but we'll have to go. We're all going to die. We don't like to think about it. We like to put it out of our mind. Even when a person dies, they embalm the body, they fix the body up, they do everything they can possibly do to make the body look alive. Why do we do that? We can't get used to death, can we? We do everything we possibly can to get rid of the fact of death. But in spite of all that we do, we're going to die. Does Jesus understand? Yes, he does. He's been there. He's been there, and the wonderful thing about it is, you know what he says about death? He's telling us there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing there to hurt you. He said, I've tucked the sting out. In fact, he tells us that death is really a glorious experience for a child of God. The only thing to be afraid of about death, someone said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm just afraid of the dying. I know what they're saying. I'm afraid of, the, of being sick or with cancer or some other disease and the, the, the days of suffering and all that leads up to my dying death. I'm not afraid to die because I know I'll go to be with the Lord. But I'm afraid of all that I may go through to get to that point. And I understand that. We may be afraid of that. But I want to say to you, child of God tonight, if you're saved, there's nothing about death itself to be afraid of. There is nothing there to hurt you. If you're not saved, yeah, there's something to be afraid of. But if you're saved, Hebrews 2.9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. What he has in mind there is the cup barrier. You read in the Old Testament about Nehemiah was a cup bearer to King Artaxerxes. The cup barrier was the most trusted man in the kingdom. He tasted all the food the king ate. He drank all the wine or the juice or whatever that the king drank. The idea was if someone was trying to poison the king, cup barrier would be poisoned first and the king would be spared. He was a very trusted man. The Bible said Jesus Christ was their cup barrier. And you know something? There was poison there and he killed him instead of us. There was the poison of sin and he died. He said he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He took the pain of death. He took the sin of death. He took the, the fear of death. He took it all. 
And he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says when you quit breathing here, I've got a special escort to take you to paradise, to bring you home. That's going to be great. This week, I, they, had, they have an observatory over there. And they have these couple of giant telescopes. That was, I can't remember what 90 was now. It was clear, fairly clear. And uh, they had the moon, had one on the moon. And you could look into that thing, and you could see the craters. You could see the mountains. I was amazed at what you could see. They had another one on Jupiter, I think it is, and had three of the moons there. It was quite interesting to, to do that. And you look at that moon, they had a chart in there, a map inside of the observatory there, and it showed they had a flags the six times that that man landed on the moon and they showed the places that, and it's, you know, you look at that and you see that up there, well, it's 240,000 miles away or 50,000, I can't remember now. Some of these kids will probably tell you. But, uh, but you look at that and you think that man has actually been there. And they said, now you see this through here? See that area right there? Through, that's, that's where they landed. They actually went there and man walked around. And we marvel at that. But we're going to take a trip one of these days. It's going to make that look like a trip to Mary. <laughs> it's not going to take several days to get there. <laughs> Absent from the body, present with the Lord. How far is heaven? You can't even make it so far that there's no number that we even know that, that we could put it down. They say the stars so far away that it takes millions of years for the light to get to the earth. Light travels 186,000 miles a second approximately. Multiply that by all the seconds in a year. And then multiply... My mind, I, 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 can't, I can't think like that. My mind won't absorb that. I, can't, I have nothing to compare it to. And heaven's beyond that. And yet the Bible said, absent of the body, present with the Lord. Just like that. The cup of death. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. I'm glad he says through. And I realize here he's talking about the shepherd and, and the leading them from the lower plains up to the high plains and all of that. But I think there's an application. We're going through. Dr. Vance Heavener said, someone asked him, is it dark in the valley? He said, yeah, it's dark said there's a light there because you can't have a shadow without a light. <laughs> I like that. And he didn't say we're going to stop in the valley. We're going through the valley. I'm glad the Lord Jesus 
understands it all. I thought this week as I listened to the the burdens and this dear lady that's going to has a brain tumor they want to operate right away. She begged them to put it off till school was that. She works in the Christian school there. They agreed to let her wait. How would you like to be facing that? How would you like to be left alone to raise three kids? Well, some of some of some know what that's about. Others may not know how to sympathize. Others may not be willing to sympathize. They may not know how. But Jesus understands. Spare heads.